Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we're kicking off a brand new series called Women of the Faith. In this series, we'll dig into the lives of a few women from church history whose stories will encourage you to lean into the faithfulness of God as you walk in whatever He sets before you today. Jenny Linda Clerk is joining us for today's conversation about three Puritan women who will inspire you to walk in grace-driven obedience. I can't wait to share these ladies with you. But before we go there, I want to say a big thank you to those of you who support Journey Women Ministries by donating to the podcast. With your help, we are coming alongside more women to move them to know and love God, and we are so grateful. If you'd like to help us in our aim to move women to know and love God and His Word, to find their hope in the gospel, and to invest deeply in their local churches as they go out on mission for the glory of God, you can do so at journeywomenpodcast.com forward slash give. As believers, we're instructed to keep God's Word on the forefront of our mind, and Dwell Bible helps us to do just that. Dwell is an audio Bible app that makes it easy to bring God's Word into your daily habits. We love listening to Dwell in the midst of everyday life rhythms like cleaning the house, driving, or going on walks around the neighborhood. Dwell has so many different customizable features and playlists to help you get in the Word and stay in the Word in the midst of whatever you're walking through. And as we incorporate God's Word into our daily tasks, we are reminded that Scripture is applicable and active in all seasons at all times. To get started with Dwell, visit dwellbible.com journeywomen to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 30% off Dwell for life. That's dwellbible.com journeywomen to commit to Scripture for the rest of this year or for life. Jenny Lynn, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. I was telling you as we started chatting that this felt very providential. I did not originally seek you out and then found out about your brand new book, Five Puritan Women, and realized what a perfect match you are for our current series, Women of Faith. I appreciate you sending it my way and for all the wonderful work you've done to introduce us and make the stories of these five Puritan women accessible to us through your work. Yeah, for sure. I love that series idea and I'm so happy to be a part of it. (laughs) Well, you have quite the bio. You have a lot of degrees. (laughs) I do. I am so (laughs) jealous. It seems as though you might be a little bit addicted to going to school. (laughs) I love school. (laughs) I was one of those children that were like, I don't want to have a sick day, mommy. I want to go to school. (laughs) So yes, I'm officially done now. But yeah, when I started college, I just immediately fell in love with theology. And so I I thought like, hey, let's just keep going with this as far as we can. And it was an amazing experience. I am so excited just to get to introduce the listeners to the Puritans today, which sounds like I need my glasses on, but I don't wear glasses. I just need to like push (laughs) them up my nose a bit uh, before I ask the first question. So who are the Puritans, just in case anybody out there hasn't been introduced to them yet? 
Yeah, so the Puritans were basically a group of pastors and lay people in 17th century England who felt like the 16th century Reformation hadn't really been taken far enough. They felt like there were some like Catholic vestiges left in the church, things like wearing vestments and strict rules about using the prayer book instead of, you know, using free prayer and stuff like that. And so that's what they were all about. And what they're usually remembered for is sort of applying the Bible to every aspect of life and really emphasizing having a deep, close, genuine relationship with God as opposed to sort of what they were kind of providing as a corrective to in their society of like, everyone's just forced to go to church and it's kind of this fake half-hearted thing. I really appreciated reading about that in the stories of some of the women. Mm-hmm. They weren't just doing rote or routine spiritual disciplines, but that the purpose of the discipline was to draw near to God. And totally. I found that personally very convicting as I was reading it because so often I could just go through the motions of scripture memory or prayer yeah. or whatever it is and forget that the purpose of the discipline is actually uh, to draw near to a person, the person right. of Jesus Christ. Totally. So totally. why else is it helpful that we might consider the stories of these people? Yeah, it's a good question. I think we can look at it from a couple different angles. So from sort of a historical perspective, if we only know about the men in a specific group or a specific time period or whatever, we kind of have like a distorted understanding of reality because we're missing like half of the population. So just from that perspective, we don't really, you know, you won't have a full understanding even of the men at the time if you don't know about the women and the children and people from, you know, different levels of society and all that kind of stuff. Then I think even more importantly on a theological level, like I mentioned earlier, the Puritans were all about having this deep, close connection with God and What we get from the writings of Puritan women that's slightly different than the men, I don't want to take this distinction too far because we still get it a bit with the men, but even more with the women, their writings are kind of like this raw, unfiltered version of spirituality where they're like taking notes immediately when stuff is happening and they might not necessarily, like they're not in the same way like writing this huge book that they're seeking to publish and influence academia and all all these sorts of things. And so you kind of get the a very real (laughs) perspective on like what does it actually look like to see these big, awesome, beautiful principles that the Puritans are teaching. How do those play out in real life, especially when Things are like not going (laughs) your way or unexpected things happen or like you're going through something really difficult or confusing or tricky. And yet the way they say it is always about 10 times better than my final draft of anything I've ever written, even if they just (laughs) jotted it down on the side. Yeah, yeah, totally. They were were very (laughs) steeped in scripture and they had a great command of the English language. And then when you bring those two together, it's like, oh, wow, these people really know what they're doing. (laughs) as I'm reading even the quotes that you've pulled out in your book, I'm just wanting to like paste them like on my kitchen kind of counter and things like that so that I can read them myself because they really ministered to my heart and the struggles that I have today. So talk to me about how studying their lives has impacted your personal life and spurred you on to Christ-likeness as you've studied more and more about who they were back then. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are so many ultra specific stories I could tell you right now, which I think is one of the cool things about studying specific individuals and church history is you you never know what you're going to connect with and for what reason. Like it might be a direct parallel to your life or it might be something that makes you think about like a loved one's experience or whatever. So I've, I really have learned a lot of specific things. And if we went into all of those, that would take up the rest of this <laughs> podcast. Something that I've just been reflecting on more recently that honestly, I didn't even think of so much when I was writing the book and I've more so been thinking about it as I've sort of been doing podcasts and writing little articles promoting the book is that I realized, you know, after I studied these women that I think I developed a a bit more of compassion or acceptance for myself the way that I am. Not not so much talking about sin. Hmm. Obviously, we all need to (laughs) put the sins in our life to death and we need to change in those areas. But I'm talking about neutral stuff like your personality and your strengths and weaknesses and, you know, your background and your level of education, all those types of things. And after, you know, painstakingly going through all the details of their stories and then seeing, wow, God really used them in those specific ways, the way that he made them, the things that he gifted them with, then he did something very specific with that in their life. And so it really doesn't make any sense for us to be like lamenting that we're not like so-and-so in our lives or whatever. If only I was like this or, you know, prettier, more athletic or more outgoing or (laughs) more studious or whatever, those are not necessarily helpful thoughts. And I think when we look at the lives of other real women from history, we can see, wow, God really did an amazing work with them. And they didn't have to like become another person to make a positive impact on their family or their community or whatever. Absolutely. And I love how that takes the focus off of them and it puts it back on God. Mm -hmm. It puts it back on, wow, look at what he was working in their lives in his sovereignty. I think that's so good. And that's something that's really important when we look at the Puritans because they can seem so devoted in ways that we aren't today. And that, of course, can be kind of a a positive admonition in and of itself. But I love that you brought the focus back to what God was doing in and through them and how he used their story to encourage you and bolster your faith and trust in what he's doing in your life today. So tell me about like one of your favorites. You said that you have a lot of different stories that you could tell. Maybe one of your favorites. Could you just share that with us and why it's your favorite? Yeah, totally. I When I was writing the book, I definitely had that experience. Like, you know, when you're reading the Bible and then you're like, oh, this is my favorite book. And then you're like, no, no, this is my favorite book. <laughs> Whatever so, book I'm studying yeah, is my exactly. favorite book. <laughs> so it was 100% one of those situations. I think probably Lucy Hudson is my favorite if you absolutely like held a gun to my head and told me I had to decide. I was trying to go there because I've done my research oh, a bit. So I was like, oh no, maybe she didn't love Lucy as much as I thought. Yeah, I totally <laughs> did. I Mostly because she kind of did a bit more heavy theology work and interacted with the work of John Owen, who is someone that I read a lot and wrote my master's thesis and my PhD dissertation on. So it's fun to, you know, connect different figures of of the same time. Well, tell me, tell us about her. Okay, yes. So Lucy Hutchinson was amazing. She was basically a historian and a poet and a theologian. She wrote works in all of those genres, including what we think is the only systematic theology that we have from a woman in the 17th century, which is really amazing because... 
there are like an infinite number of stereotypes on the Puritans that we don't have to get into right now, but probably anyone listening to this would already be able to think of all of them. Like the Puritans are scary and mean and like the most sexist people you could ever imagine or something like that. It's really cool that the systematic theology that we have is from a Puritan woman, not necessarily from, you know, another religious Christian woman. And that I think just goes to show us that even though there definitely were societal restrictions placed on women at this time that were totally unfair. Like they couldn't go to university and own property unless they were given to it by their husbands, all sorts of things. They, these women were still able to like do things that they wanted to do and be their own people and, you know, pursue their passions in life and whatever. So I think that's a really cool fact about her book. Another thing that I absolutely love, I think my favorite thing about her book in general is that she wrote it for her daughter, Barbara, which just kind of takes it even to another level. Not only do we have a Puritan woman writing theology, which maybe we would have thought, oh, this is only, this is like relegated to men and only men can do this, but she's now writing for her daughter. So it just brings on this whole other level of showing us how, you know, theology was important for both genders and it wasn't necessarily men are the ones doing theology, men are the ones who like theology and women are just kind of like doing side stuff, following them along in that or whatever. Because Lucy was kind of the theologian of her family. Her husband was also really interested in theology and part of why they sort of fell in love with each other was because they were both intellectuals and they loved discussing things and reading and that that kind of stuff. But she was the one who actually studied theology more and wrote a theology book and other theological writings. So really cool. Well, I was so encouraged by that because, you know, we could just buy a book for our kids or for someone who we're mentoring or discipling, but for her to actually put pen to paper and to try and kind of describe why is this all so important was such an encouragement to me just to take the time to do that. I think that's one of the things that I've been really struck by with the Puritans is, you know, they just had so much more time for contemplation, meditation, because they didn't have some of the things that just steal our attention, like social media or the internet or whatever. So I was just really struck by, man, I would do well to carve out more time um, just to consider things more deeply. Did you experience that as you were reading or some of their things or is that just me? No, yeah, that's so true. They really did, you know, we're already in this podcast hitting on, on sort of like what I would see as a cool balance that they found, which was being really intense about spiritual practices, but at the same time, always keeping the focus of, like this isn't a checklist or like a rule book that like God's going to get mad at me if I don't do this thing today or something like that. It's about spending time with God. And I found that really encouraging because, I mean, I think, you know, on the one hand, we can totally read the Puritans and like experience a bit of guilt and that that's totally natural and normal. And maybe, you know, there are times in our lives where we are just straight up being lazy or whatever, and we need, or, you know, our priorities are out of whack and we need to get them back in order. But actually, this is kind of like an encouraging thing because their lives were so integrated that in a way they were sort of always praying and always thinking about scripture. And like, you know, if you don't sit down and have quote unquote, 30 minutes of Bible reading and prayer. Yeah, exactly. And do this and do that and all the things. 
you know, you're going to get in trouble or whatever. It, it's more like they had this close relationship with God. And so constantly throughout the day, they would think of a Bible verse or talk to someone that they were, you know, coming across in their life about God or just send up short little prayers to God as they were going through like really intense trials or whatever. And so, yeah, I think if we can see ourselves, our lives in a more integrated way, like theirs were, it becomes less of like, a, I feel bad that I'm not doing so much stuff and more of like a, wait a minute, I might actually be doing this a lot. Like if you sincerely love God and love scripture, you're like 75% of the way <laughs> there, you know what I mean? And you just need to make sure that you, you know, help that along the, the little rest of the percent by, you know, learning about the Bible on a regular basis, reading the Bible, spending time with other Christians, that kind of stuff, but not necessarily in like a hyper rules oriented way. Yeah, I loved that in Mary Rich's story. Can you tell a little bit about who Mary Rich was and just her practice of really meditation and then how thoughtfully she observed her life and the things that were in front of her and made some of those spiritual connections? Yeah, totally. So Mary Rich became a countess when her husband unexpectedly inherited his father's estate. And so she became really wealthy and she ended up giving away almost like a third of her income to charity, all sorts of different things like suffering pastors and the poor and whatever. And she wrote what we have as the only published book of meditations from a woman in the 17th century. So the practice of meditation, at least according to the Puritans, they actually split it into two, occasional meditations and deliberate meditations, because they loved making categories, <laughs> being influenced <laughs> uh, by uh, Aquinas there. So deliberate meditations were taking scripture and focusing on a specific passage and trying to basically like squeeze everything that you could out of that passage, apply it to your life, try to understand it better, something like that. Just taking a period of time to really focus on it. And occasional meditations were doing the same kind of thing, but instead of with, with scripture, paying attention to just the regular things in our everyday life, like super normal things like seeing a dog walk down the street or something like that and trying to take some kind of spiritual meaning out of that, whether it's like a metaphor about some spiritual thing or it's just a more direct reminder of like, wow, look at how that dog, this is like a horrible on the spot example <laughs> that I'm making up, but look at how that dog just trusts its owner and it never has to find its own food. And it's just having the time of his life walking down the yeah. street. And that's how we right. should be with God, you know, knowing that he is taking care of us, providing for all our needs. And so we can enjoy the good things he's giving us or whatever. Hers were way better. <laughs> that was great. Uh, I, loved, I didn't know where you were going with that. <laughs> I had no idea either. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Mary Rich was a real pro at that. And again, just goes to show you the sort of integrated nature of it where she's trying to not just like have these compartmentalized aspects of her life where in the morning she reads the Bible and prays and then for the whole rest of the day she's just doing stuff that totally doesn't relate to right. God or church or anything and then at night she says a two-minute prayer or whatever. It's more of she's with God the whole day and you know sometimes she has 
lots of a big chunk of time that she really is being deliberate in looking at God's word or trying to sort of meditate on nature or the things around her that she's seeing. And other times, you know, just being caught up in the busyness of life or also, you know, she went through some really difficult trials in her life and just feeling exhausted from that and not having the energy to like put as much time into specific spiritual practices. So whichever she was doing, it was her whole life was just a life spent with God. Mm, I love that. It's abiding with Christ. These Puritan women lived a spiritually integrated life. Instead of simply reading their Bibles and going about their day, they actually folded their thoughts around scripture at all times. It makes me think of Colossians 3, 1 through 3, which says, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What might it look like to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things? How can we let the word of Christ dwell richly among us? What would it look like to live a truly spiritually integrated life, folding our thoughts around God and His Word throughout the day, not just in our quiet times. The lives of these women compel me to set aside my worries, my cell phone, and other distractions, and instead consider Christ and what He's done for me. Let's ask God to help us do that even more today. Let's talk about Agnes Beaumont. I think that some people are probably listening and they're like, man, I really want to make those spiritual connections, but I don't really know the Bible that well. I'm new to Christianity. I have read, you know, some, but don't feel like I can just like quote a Bible verse off the the top of my head. Can we talk about how Agnes Beaumont, even as a new convert, would use scripture as a source of comfort, even in the midst of her struggles, which I'd love for you to go into, how you saw her making those connections, even though she was really new in her faith. Yeah, totally. So Beaumont was a young convert who went through a series of ridiculous crises and then sort of wrote it all down at the end of everything happening to have a record of this. And yeah, it's a really unique document because she was kind of on a lower social status compared to the other women in the book. And, you know, often we don't have many documents from people who weren't like rich because they didn't have like the time or the resources to write. So super cool that we have this from her to begin with. I think because she had memorized so much scripture, she was not only able to feel close to God by expressing herself to him through prayer, but she could also hear from him through each specific trial she went through, even though she wasn't, this was like a hectic, crazy time of her life. She wasn't like sitting down with her Bible, like thinking about all of the many implications of what was happening. It was more of like a harried time of like, what is going on? I don't know what's going Mm -hmm. to happen next. And uh, sometimes she didn't even have her Bible with her. And so, and it just wasn't even appropriate for her to get a Bible. I mean, at one point she's basically dealing with like her father is is dying in front of her and so you know at that moment the thing to do is to not find the bible as horrible as that sounds (laughs) the thing to do is to get a doctor (laughs) and try to like save the person's life and so through things like that because she had memorized scripture she was 
able to feel close to God, even though she wasn't necessarily sitting down looking at it the whole time. Um, and also able to share it with others in crisis moments, like I just mentioned, when her her dad was literally dying in, in her arms. I'm also interested, I know you've written a book about the Bible, and I don't know if it's all about memorization. It sounds like it's, you know, singing it, saying it. I can't remember the whole title, but I was <laughs> yeah. interested even, I, I'm sure you're not supposed to ask the podcaster a question, <laughs> but I'm so curious to know what you thought about that just from your own research or whatever. Well, as I was reading, I thought, wow, I really resonate with this because scripture became really precious to me in the most desperate times in my mm. life. And as you stated, oftentimes in the most desperate times of our life, we don't have the time to really be pouring over the scriptures as much as we'd like to. Yeah. So totally. scripture memory has become very precious to me, especially in a season of motherhood when I desire to study the scriptures more, but I don't have the time to myself to enable me to do that the way that I'd like to. So it does enable um, meditation, which is what we were talking about with Mary Riches story where then you're able to take that scripture and then to be able to just apply it to your mm -hmm. life readily. So yeah. So I am super passionate about that and love that aspect of Anne Beaumont's story. We hope you guys are finding this conversation with Jenny Lynn so helpful. And because of that, we want to tell you about another sponsor who helped make it possible, Scriptura. We're excited to tell you about Scriptura, a wonderful company that crafts new Bibles with custom leather covers and even restores special or sentimental Bibles that are falling apart. Guys, their work is beautiful. They recently restored my ESV study Bible that I've had since college, and it is gorgeous. Simply fill out a form online with measurements and what you're looking for, and they will reach out with further instructions on how to place your order and ship your Bible. When my restored Bible came back, I could not believe how lovely it was. A new or restored Bible from Scriptura would make a great gift for Mother's Day or Father's Day. And for a limited time, Journeywoman listeners can receive 15% off their order with the code JOURNEY15. Just go to scriptura.co and use the code JOURNEY15 for 15% off. Tell me about the way that these women, just in general, or maybe specifically if something comes to mind, how they think about their local churches. How do they feel about the church? Yeah, well, they loved being a part of the church. It was really important to all of them, I'd say. You definitely see different, you know, different women in different phases of life and going through sort of different life situations, doing different things. So I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, Mary Rich suddenly became like very wealthy and she had basically lost both of her children, you know, when they were at a young age and then also lost her husband. You know, in one sense, she had a lot of time on her hands. She was still managing a household on her own. So it wasn't like she was just like sitting around doing nothing. She had stuff to do, but she totally could have just chilled out <laughs> and said, oh, whatever, I have money and, <laughs> you know, I don't have an immediate family to take care of. So, so I can just like do whatever I want. But she actually yeah. decided to spend so much of it 
you know, not only on helping people like in general, like the poor, regardless of who they were, you know, what they were about, but also specifically, you know, doing Christian charity, like taking care of pastors who were uh, experiencing religious persecution at the time and things like that. Um, And so, yeah, you really see how each woman connects with the church differently in their own story with um, Agnes Beaumont. She's living with her father kind of like under his authority, the way that they saw it at the time. So she's having to like get permission to go to church. But at the same time, she is, it's so important to her that she's going to great lengths, even when her father is threatening her and literally throwing her out of the house because he doesn't want her to do this. She's still trying to find a way to stay connected. And through everything that she experienced, all of the various crises that she went through, right, like subsequently right in a row, she was constantly taking comfort from other Christians around her who prayed with her. She talks about Christian friends in her life. I don't go into extreme detail about Her friends, because I was trying to sort of summarize the whole story in understandable way without getting bogged down into any of the details. But if you read the primary source, you'll see her even talk about specific names of friends who she was close with and how they would get together and pray and talk about the thing that she was going through and all, all sorts of stuff. And then with Lucy Hutchinson, she goes through sort of a a difficult turn later in life when her husband dies in prison and now she's having to sort of take care of the whole family by herself. And after she sort of figured out what they're all going to do with their like employment and education and stuff, she sort of, it seems like she kind of like becomes a nomad. Like we don't know where she's living. She sells off their estates. And so Mm -hmm. we don't actually know where Lucy Hutchinson went to church later in life. She was probably like moving around, staying with friends and stuff like that, as one did at the time when you went through a financial struggle, you sort of relied on your family and your close friends to take you in. But we do see in the theology book that she wrote for her daughter that clearly being a part of the local church was extremely important to her, not just the local church, but also sticking close to the universal church by holding to the faith of the global church throughout time and the love of the church and stuff. So you really see how, again, each of these women, their lives were so integrated that, you know, they weren't doing things that were like jarring and completely disconnected from other parts of their life. The way that they were involved with the church in their area or whatever was directly connected to other situations in life, like living with a dad who didn't want them to go to church or not having a permanent resident and going to various churches to listen to different sermons or contributing to Christian charity in their area. One of my favorite quotes from all of them that you included from Agnes when she said she went to Sunday service and it was a fatty fat feast. And I'm like, wow, that is so great. I'm preparing for the fatty fat feast on Sunday, which I mean, that's just, again, theology in three little words, fatty fat feast. I'm like, wow, that's not the direct quote. I I get where you're going. But but the fatty fat feast at the supper of the lamb, I'm like, that's what we experience on Sundays is the many fatty fat feast (laughs) you know being together with the saints and so that really encouraged me so much
I dug up this quote by Agnes Beaumont from Jenny's book so that you can hear it in full because it's just that good. After attending Sunday service, Agnes wrote, Oh, it was a feast of fat things to me. My soul was filled with consolation. Oh, I had such a sight of Jesus Christ that it broke my heart to pieces. A sense of my sins and of his dying love made me love him and long to be with him. May we, like Agnes, love to hear the word preached, experience deep conviction over our sin, and relish in the comfort that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the future hope we have of feasting with him forever. Listen to the feast of fat things it will be, as Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 25, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he will swallow up the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. When he has swallowed up death once and for all, the Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken, on that day it will be said, look, this is our God. We have waited for him and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Oh, what a feast of fat things it will be. There's so many questions that I'd like to ask. I'm going to ask one more. And, um, I think this is an important question to ask because often in our current generation of Christians, we are really emphasizing grace, which I love. I want to rest in God's grace. I want to work from a place of rest, all these (laughs) things. But I find the way that I read about the Puritans thinking about and addressing their personal sin Mm. very convicting. How did they handle the issue of personal sin? Yeah, well, they, again, the Puritans are so good at striking a balance between things. When people think about the Puritans, they usually think, oh, these are extreme people. They are constantly pushing things to the edges rather than being like moderate and wise. But that was actually the complete opposite. They were amazing at balance. And I think this is another balance that they really show is They are very open about their sin and serious about their sin. Uh, They just call it out for what it is um, and deal with it head on. Uh, And on the other hand, they also do not go into a personal crisis every single time they you know, come to realize a sin in their life, unless it is, unless we are talking about like the main crisis of their spiritual life when they had like a conversion experience. So obviously that is a crisis moment when you realize, oh my goodness, I'm a sinner. (laughs) So definitely, you know, at that point they're (laughs) going into a crisis. But I mean, once they have, you know, devoted themselves to God and love him and know that he loves them and have committed to following him, they're not thrown off that path because they're admitting to their sin, if that makes sense. So they know that they can get forgiveness from God. Not only will God forgive them if they repent and apologize, but he will even give them a way out. You know, they believe that, okay, I have now messed something up, but 
I can turn this around because God doesn't want this. And so there is another way to to get out of this situation that Mm -hmm. I have either accidentally, you know, or Mm. even intentionally created, you know, not realizing it in the moment. And so I think that's a really good way to look at sin in general. And yeah, something that I love about the Puritans and, you know, that I mentioned early was they were so, they were just, had a great command of the English language. And I think part of that was they were just trying to say things the way that they were. They were not sugarcoating things. And, you know, that can maybe be scary sometimes in our lives. We're like, I don't know if I should say that to God. (laughs) Like, maybe if I don't tell him, he'll just not know. (laughs) But, um, you know, delude ourselves thinking that God doesn't actually have a better perspective on things than, than we do. So they really, they applied that to sin and just being honest about it and grieving it and repenting of it and finding a way out, but also not getting to the point of like despair or like hating yourself in a weird way that isn't really doing anyone any good. Our last sponsor for today's episode is PrepDish. PrepDish is the best way for busy people to get healthy meals on the table without the stress. When you subscribe to PrepDish, you will receive an email every week with an organized grocery list and instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. You can choose from four menus, gluten-free, paleo, low-carb, or the super-fast menu. If you think you don't have time to meal prep, try the super-fast meal plans where you can prep five healthy dinners in just one hour. That means just one hour of meal prep will set you up for success the rest of the week, and dinner time can come together quickly every day. PrepDish is a mom-owned company, and you can tell from the meal plans. These are delicious, healthy meals you'll feel good about serving, and your family will feel good about eating. Right now, PrepDish's founder, Allison, is offering listeners a free two-week trial. Check out PrepDish.com journey for this amazing deal. Again, that's PrepDish.com journey for your first two weeks free. You know, I think in our day and age where everything is so filtered, you can just swipe to the left, make yourself look a little better. Sometimes we are numb to the fact that we aren't always presenting as we are. Yeah, totally, totally. I found that personally very compelling just to be that honest about my sin, you know, not to hit that edit before publishing. I just feel so challenged by that. And I'm so grateful for the way that you have made these stories so accessible to us. I can't wait to reread the book, not at a speed read pace. Tell me, one of the questions that I ask every guest who comes on the show is, what are your three simple joys? But over the last five years, I've honestly gotten a little bit bored with that question. So now... That's fair. (laughs) I have specified. I would love to hear what your three simple joys are when it comes to studying church history. That's a great question. I could totally see how that would end up being the same things like coffee, dogs, and Jesus or something. You're like, yes. this is getting old. My Bible, my coffee. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> I love so many things about church history, but I think the number one thing for me is 
hearing a individual person's story for the first time, it's so exhilarating. Like you never, you have no idea what you're going to come across. And it's so interesting and cool. It's just an adventure. You don't know where it's going to (laughs) lead. So it's really fun. Um, Another thing that I love is just feeling a sense of closeness to the universal church or like a sense of being part of the communion of saints because you're learning about people who like, lived hundreds of years before you in a different country, had a totally different way of life. And yet, you know, they have like almost the exact same beliefs as you to the point of you could be reading something and being like, wait, did I write this? <laughs> like, So yeah. I love that sense of just feeling like, wow, the, the unity of the church, basically. Um, and yeah. I think the third thing is sort of just having access to like wholesome entertainment like escapism but in a nice productive way 100% (laughs) I am so with you like historical fiction is one of my favorite genres but when you just go church history and biographies and all that then it's just like wow this is just super edifying because it's true totally um and yeah you're right I mean it's not like you're they're perfect stories by any means but it's an encouragement to see Mm -hmm. the imperfect saints stumbling their way along by the help of the Holy Spirit so very very cool I love that. And I just also love that you have made these stories palatable for those of us who are tired and who may not have the discipline of reading things as Mm -hmm. they were written back then. Because I read about a paragraph of the way the Puritans wrote, and I have to chew on that for approximately 24 hours. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And that is not just you. (laughs) No one on this earth has to feel bad <laughs> if they feel tired from reading the Puritans. <laughs> that is 100% acceptable. And to be fair, you know, when there's like a lot of random little 17th century things in there, it's like, y'all don't need to know that. <laughs> like, right, We right. can just skip over the 17th century politics part. Eat <laughs> like, the meat, spit out the bones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, tell me from your study, which figure from church history in general, this does not have to be one of the five women that you included in your book, which figure has really had the greatest impact on the way you know and love God? I think probably John Owen, just because I've spent more time reading him than I really have anyone else. And um, yeah, I just love all of his applications of theology to practical life stuff. And I feel like every single time Sometimes I go into like, I am I think like, oh, I wonder what John Owen said about this topic. And then I brace myself for some really intense, extreme thing. And then it ends up just being so like lovely and moderate and wise and directly applicable to my own life. And so wow. that just becomes a little bit addictive. You're like, I don't have to read anyone else at this point. I can just <laughs> go figure out what John Owen said. And then that's the answer. I don't have to like look at all the totally about that's, that. <laughs> that's exactly the way I feel about Charles Spurgeon I'm like what oh nice Spurgeon yes okay. yeah <laughs> exactly exactly if we had one book to pick up of John Owens what would you recommend or one way to resource his works Mm-mm. yeah John Owen is notoriously difficult to read like the worst of all the Puritans so uh, <laughs> it depends what you're aiming for I usually whenever people ask me like oh what should I read of the Puritans or of John Owen or you know, of the Puritans in general, I usually say the best thing to do is to look up if they 
if a specific figure or John Owen or just a Puritans general wrote about some topic that you're actually interested in, because then probably yeah. you're, you'll have the focus and the desire to actually yeah. get through it. But um, good places to start could be there is an abridged version of Mortification of Sin, which oh, is cool. one of his most popular works. And it's ultra practical advice about how to deal with sin in your everyday life. Again, in like a way that really balances grace with obedience. And, and it's just so awesome. Uh, my personal favorite of John Owens, which I don't think there's like a way to just get this book unless you're online. So you will have to get like the volume that, <laughs> that the book is in. Uh, yeah. But uh, if you like reading about the church or you want a good read about the church, he has a little pamphlet basically about church fellowship called Eshkol. And he gives rules for how should pastors relate to their congregants and then how should all of the congregants relate to each other. And it's just so beautiful and practical. It was actually, I think it was his work that was the most popular in the 18th century when, you know, evangelicalism started and there was this, again, a big emphasis on spirituality and having, you know, a close relationship with God. And so that's my personal favorite. It's also very short and super easy to read. But again, I'm not sure if there's, I don't think there is like just a cute little booklet version you can buy. So you'll have to either go online and find it or borrow, (laughs) you know, the volume from a friend who has an Owen set or something. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. Well, I am so excited to look that up, but I would encourage listeners to go and look up your new book. Can you tell us the full title? I know it's Five Puritan Women. What's the subtitle? Portraits of Faith and Love. Five Puritan Women, Portraits of Faith and Love. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Journey Women podcast, Jenny Lynn. It's been a joy to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. We pray that as we wrap up this conversation, you've grown in your desire to walk in grace-driven obedience just like these women did. If you found this episode helpful, consider sharing our Women of the Faith series with a friend or leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. While you're there, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss next week's episode on Corey Ten Boom and Helen Rosevere. Lastly, as we've done in past series, we are going to ask you to let us know what you've learned while listening to the series. So please take notes. We'll feature some of your responses in the last episode here in a few weeks. As always, thanks so much for listening. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. We can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.